0: This episode is sponsored by Notable, the premier cross-industry network designed to support advanced leaders not yet in the C-suite. If you desire a confidential space to tackle the unique challenges of further sharpening your leadership acumen, increasing your network of strategic supporters, building a high-performing team culture, or expanding your capability for roles of broader scope and responsibility, then membership in Notable is just for you. Learn more and apply at joinnotable.net. Acknowledging that as a white cisgender gay dude, I have privilege, and I know that, and really using that to promote inclusivity for all of us others.
1: Welcome to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast, where we equipped you to more effectively lead your seat at any employer, business, or industry in which you choose to play. Each week, we help you sharpen your leadership acumen by cracking open the playbooks of dynamic leaders who are doing big things in their professional endeavors. And now your host, leadership tactics and organizational development expert, Karen Farrell-Rhodes. Hey there, superstars. This is Karen, and welcome to today's episode the topics of diversity, inclusion, equity, and belonging usually reveal strong emotions and sometimes unique perspectives and as well as they can lead to very highly charged conversations. But as a leader, it's important for you to muster the courage to not to shy away from these conversations. You got to put your active listening hat on in order to better understand those that you're working and collaborating with. Then to help us to sharpen our skills on getting comfortable with the uncomfortable, We have today's guest, Dr. Steve Iacovelli, who is the owner and principal of Top Dog Learning Group, LLC. And Top Dog is a learning and development, change management, and inclusion consulting firm based in Orlando, Florida. And in this episode, Steve shares two great models that you can use and backs them up with case study examples from his consulting engagements. Trust me, his insights on inclusive leadership is priceless. Stay tuned to the end to listen to my closing segment called Karen's Take. And this is where I share a tip on how to use insights from today's episode to further sharpen your leadership acumen. And now, enjoy the show. Hello there, superstars. This is Karen, and welcome to another episode of the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast. We're totally thrilled that you are with us today, and we have an absolutely tremendous guest with us. I am so pleased to introduce Dr. Steve Iacovelli, I think I got that right, <laughs> who is the founder and CEO of Top Dog Learning Group, which is a learning and development group that's focused on just general talent development, leadership development, and also does change management and DEI consulting. So. He is a jack-of-all-trades on the people side of business, so welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you, Karen. I'm so excited to be here.
1: Oh, we're so excited to have you, and we're eager to crack open your own leadership playbook because I know you got a lot of nuggets for us, so uh, we'll just jump right in if you don't mind. Well, um, first of all, Steve, before we get started into the nitty-gritty, for as much as you feel comfortable, would you mind sharing a little bit about your background, um, just maybe on a personal level, where you grew up, and then a little bit about your professional journey thus far?
0: Yeah, so Dr. Steve Acavelli, pronouns he, him, and his. And so I grew up in the suburban Philadelphia area. Family's still up there. I escaped, and I now live in Central Florida. So I'm insanely, especially this time of the year, I'm so happy. Depending on when you listen to this, it's it's you know colder up north than it is down here in Central Florida. So happy with that. Figured, and I'll just jump right into the personal stuff. Uh, figured my authentic self out actually at around 24. So, uh, spent, you know, a little bit of time not sure of who I was and finally like, ah, that's the deal. I like boys and all that good stuff. And, uh, kind of moved that forward. And, and, and I bring that up from a professional perspective because I, I really entered the job force or the workforce um around the same time. So I'm happy to say that, you know, as knowing my authentic self, I've always been out within the workplace. So, you know, that was 24. So it's only been about 10 years. Just kidding. I'm actually in my fifties now.
1: You know nowhere near fifty
0: <laughs> lens it's a good lens here if you're watching on video but i uh I really have always been in the professional development training kind of space. I actually worked in software uh training and people were like, "You're really good with people, I'm like hey, thanks and I actually went out and went and got my master's in uh, educational policy and leadership, so kind of focused more on the leadershipy stuff. And then made my way to Disney for a while. I was uh, worked at Disney Cruise Line and some other areas, uh, mostly in, as a leadership consultant. Internal did a couple other things. I was with IBM for several years doing change management and and resiliency. Was a professor for like a hot second after I got my doctorate. Was not my jam. Um Too much of a business person. And then, but back in two thousand and two. My colleague, while we were still at Disney, approached me and she's like, Hey, we should start a, a side hustle. I'm like, what? No, I'm fine with this job. She's like, no, no, we could, we could do this. We can be a, you know, the best chief learning officer together. I'm like, mm, okay, we'll think about it. So we went to our CEO uh, or our VP of, of HR at Disney at the time and we told her the deal and she's like, don't use Disney stuff. Don't use Disney time. Have fun, friends. And that's kind of how Top Dog Learning Group started as a side hustle. Flash forward to the end of 2007, I was working, uh, I won't say the company, uh, but it was a global manufacturing company. I mean, I was the global head of HR, or excuse me, global head of leadership uh, within the HR function. And I walked in one day and they said, this isn't working out, you're fired. To this day, I have no idea Florida's a right to work state. And so for some reason, someone did, was not my friend, even though I just like won a global HR award two weeks before. I had my mid year five out of five stars. So big mystery. But anyway, it was a blessing in disguise, of course. You know, one door closes, a window opens. And that's actually how I took Top Dog as my full time gig in early 2008 and kind of have been riding that wave for almost 15 years.
1: Oh, amazing. Congratulations on the sustainability of the business because you know how hard it is to run it these days.
0: (laughs) 2008 was a really crappy time to start a business.
1: (laughs) It was <laughs> But you survived to tell the story, right?
0: We <laughs> did. And the COVID storm too, yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, that is fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing that. And what you and I I don't think we I knew this until you shared your story. What you and I have in common was similar. My last big gig before I started a firm was with Microsoft. And similar, um, they had kind of I'd say incubators before those were popular and same thing. It's like, Hey, I wanted to do a thing. Don't use Microsoft's time. Don't use Microsoft's uh, money or assets, <laughs> but have fun. And so uh, we have to c- share stories about that probably offline.
0: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, th- th- I've been fortunate that that, I'm sure you find this too, Karen, that corporate experience. And, and you know, I've been fortunate. I've been with some really, really big companies and. Those experiences are actually what what helps me understand my learners and my clients quite a bit better, especially through the rainbow lens. And I work with a lot of ERGs, especially LGBTQ plus ERGs, and can understand the nuance and, and the interestingness of being a queer person, being an out-queer person within the workplace, especially in those big, giant honking companies like that.
1: Yes, absolutely. And you know what, um, Steve, I'm curious of how you experienced you know, the past few years, I call it, you go through cycles of social awakening, social awareness, that kind of whole thing. And with the, during the temp pandemic, we had one of those periods. I'm curious on how you experienced that and how your clients experienced that. Because what I'm finding right now is everybody was on board at the time, but now they're getting a little tired. They not, not that they don't want to do it. They're just unsure of how to make it real, how to continue the energy around it. So, what do you think? What are you experiencing?
0: You know, when 2020 happened, of course, we had the pandemic and then we had the horrible things with George Floyd and, and all these things. And a lot of companies saying, you know what? Yeah, maybe we need to rethink this. And, and yes, awesome. You know, that silver lining piece. But but you're spot on, Karen. A lot of companies, either one, the engine is running out, especially if some of the initiatives were more employee centric versus you know company centric and and so you have that like all of us others I mean we only have so much energy to to put into the, the the changing of the workplace culture but then I also think too that that some organizations are just trying to figure out well what's next where do we go and I see a lot of folks playing around with inclusive language a little bit more looking at psychological safety um, as a different area of focus and, and getting beyond a lot of those performative, Allyship pieces like the rainbow washing every June of our logo and, and all those things, you know, and you're seeing some good companies do it. You see some that are still hiccuping, even large, awesome ally folks. I mean, you know, the time we're recording this, the World Cup is still going on and you see a lot of folks who have, you June there have these gorgeous rainbow logos, but they're also over supporting not the coolest space for the queer community (laughs) when you look at where the World Cup is. And so those folks trying to figure out uh, folks being corporations, how to maneuver through and, and really be a better ally than just the rainbow washing or look, yay, it's, it's blank month and we're going to celebrate that, whatever blank is.
1: Right. No, you're so smart on. And when you go into clients, are most of your clients already self aware that, that interventions need to happen? Are you having to sell them on the whole inclusive cultures positioning?
0: Yeah, it depends. We have a couple that are, they know they want to do, like I have this one, it's a um, its a global manufacturing, it's based in Europe, but you know, we work primarily with their North American offices and they know they need to change, but they're like, we're engineering. And, and we know, I mean, when you look around the office, it's perceived middle-aged white dudes and they know that that's a problem. They're just trying to figure out how to change that. And so that's one of the things that we kind of have a chat about them. So the self-awareness is there. And they also know it's systemic, but they're not sure what to do. And so we have those conversations. Other folks are so down the path of inclusivity and creating that sense of belonging that, you know, I just come in or or my team just comes in as yet another arrow in their quiver of change. And so they're already doing some cool stuff and they're like, you know what, let's bring the gay leadership dude in and have him do a keynote or his team come in and do that one day inclusive language program that you do. And And so, you know, some folks are more on that continuum where they're beyond the, yay, it's blank month, (laughs) that they're more like, let's change our forms to be more inclusive of of the different genders that are out there and all those other little tiny things that absolutely mean so much when you're trying to make change within your workplace culture.
1: I love that. I love that. And I'm just curious for you personally, because you've had a long experience in kind of the corporate side of life as well, and especially with the dynamic dimensions that are part of your full life and authentic personality. What does it? What did it take for you to be successful? A successful leader in both corporate America and now, because there's still biases out there. As you know, quite a while.
0: there are. And thank you for asking that, Karen. I, I think the first is acknowledging that as a white cisgender gay dude, I have privilege, and I know that, and really using that to promote inclusivity for all of us others. And so I think there's that self-awareness has helped in really being mindful of what to do with that, for lack of a better term, that positioning. Like I know, for example, that when I go into these global manufacturing companies that have a lot of middle-aged white dudes who are there, I can tell them things. And as a, a white cisgender dude, I can get away with it. Where somebody who might be like a woman of color or a queer person standing up in the room, you might not be able to to get that same message. I hate that the world's like that, but it is. And so being mindful of that, I think, is one thing that can help be really help me as an inclusive leader kind of make some headway. And I think the other is what I teach in a lot of our leadership programming is just listening. You know, I don't think and, and you know this as a leadership expert, like I don't think listening is as stressed as it should be within the leadership world.
1: Yes.
0: And you know, that active listening and asking those right questions and then shutting the heck up and listening. <laughs> listening. <laughs> and just like listen and like un- listening to understand not to respond as Stephen uh, Covey kind of paraphrases. And I think that's been a really powerful thing that i personally done and I try to teach my students to do is, is just the power of that listening and really hearing what's being said and what's not being said as well.
1: No, that makes a ton of sense. And how do you advise or what do you think are critical aspects to more inclusive cultures?
0: Well, one of the things that we teach and I actually in my signature talk keynote things, I do, uh, I kind of was really thinking about this when I was creating it, and I and use the graphic here if you're watching in the video.
1: Oh, yay. All right. Really quick, uh, uh, listeners, this is going to be added to our leadership playbook, so pay attention. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so when I think about, and I use the phrase being a consciously inclusive leader, and a quick story, that started when I was actually at Disney, teaching uh, like one of my first classes in unconscious bias. I remember I was doing this session, and and you know there was a lot of people who volunteered to be there, but there was one individual I remember who was clearly voluntold to be there. You know, they, they, it was against their you know their desire, but someone above them said you should go to this course that Steve's doing. So they're sitting in the back of the room, and we're having conversational on unconscious bias, and you can just feel. their discomfort and the body language and all that stuff. So a break came up and I went up to this person and we'll pretend their name is Pat. And I said, Pat, you know, what's on your mind? Well, Steve, you said it's unconscious bias. I'm like, that's correct. Well, it's unconscious. I can't do anything about it. "Hmm." I was like, thank you, Pat, for educating me. So ever since then, I've used the consciously inclusive phrasing and I know some other folks do as well, but to me, it's active. You can do something about it. And that's kind of what is frameworked here. And For those who aren't seeing, it's just a graphic that has three phrases on, you know, on a linear line, think in, speak up and act out. And so when I think about think in, it's about you as the human, as the leader, you got to get your own house in order first. And that's looking at your own unconscious biases, thinking about the words and the actions that you do, kind of getting in that mindful state and just observing the way you interact with the world and others around you and, and really try to get your own stuff together to be more consciously inclusive. So the think in peace, if, for example, if you go to Project Implicit, if you're not familiar, Google that. It's a great way to start to explore what potential unconscious biases you have that you may not be aware of. So Project Implicit, really cool resource. Then it's the speak up is really thinking about the folks around you and especially how you interact with them. And, and so a lot of this has to do with the language that we're using and having that courage to when someone says a disparaging comment to have the courage to say, no, 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 that's not how we roll. I'm not going to silently agree with you, silent collusion, but I'm going to have the courage to speak up and call you out on those things in a respectful sort of way. And then act out is really what can we collectively do as a workplace to look at the processes and the procedures and and all the different things and analyze them from an inclusive or exclusive perspective. You know, The forms that we do in HR, um, our policies on bereavement, do they include all those types of folks? I remember working with one client and They're like, you know what? We just changed our bereavement policy that pets are now considered family because we have people out there who, they don't have human children. They have canine or feline or feathered children. And I'm like, that's inclusive. Thank you very much. And that's an example of act out. You know, as a canine parent, you might get- What a great example. Yeah. And so we as consciously inclusive leaders can do it through those three lenses, the think in, the speak up and the act out.
1: Oh, gold, straight gold right there. (laughs) And so, thank you, And. How does this show up in LGBTQ plus leadership? How is that connected, and how can we use that framework to maybe address some of the observations we see in the workplace?
0: Yeah, I'll focus on the think or excuse me, the speak up one. Okay. And, And as a good example, so you know, and this is an absolute true story. Matter of fact, it happened in your neck of the woods, Karen. I was in Atlanta, in Atlanta. Yes, I was at a client and. Myself and one of my top doggers, Lori was there and we were doing, we did a change management project for like a month and a half. And it was like the last hurrah. Yay. There's like 38 other folks in the room and Lori and I. And you know, just kind of like the wrap up of the project. And at the head of the table is the senior executive of, you know, sponsor of the program. And he was, you know, the big wig and, and his gender is important in the story, which is why I say he, and we're just about to start the meeting and you know, the voices are dying down and you hear this senior executive say, well, oh, you know how all women drive. Yes, Karen, your face. If you can't see Karen's face, she gets the whole shocking thing. We all did that in that moment. We kind of looked towards him at the head of the table, but no one said a word. So at that moment, we were tacitly agreeing or what's called silent collusion. And as queer leaders, as really any leader who wants to defend the right of others in the workplace, you can't let that happen. And so the speak up gives you strategies and, and I use this, and we can even put the link in the chat. It's a free training we do called Mop Sam that you can do in that moment to refute uh, and beat silent collusion. And so one, you know, and Mop Sam, it, and I do this cheeky little thing where Mop is like a pulley Mop dog and his name is Sam and it's, it's cheeky. It's silly, but it's memorable. And so, yeah, and, and it's, just, it's, and I'm a dog person and top dog learning group and there's branding there. And all. and But the A in Mop Sam, which is my favorite one is the strategy is in that moment you ask a question. And so I could turn to say Bob, the senior executive who said, you know, women drive. And say, Bob, what did you mean by that comment? And so that's a way that we as leaders who want to create that inclusive space can address and hit those negative comments in, in that moment. It also sends a message that you know what, as an inclusive leader, I'm not on board with that kind of stuff. That's not where it's gonna like, I'm not gonna support that. And you know you also have to be mindful in how you ask it like, Bob, what did you mean by that statement? you know eh, Bobs influences go up, shields up, kind of thing. But if you ask it in that neutral tone, a couple of things happen, and that's actually what did happen in this in this example. You know, Bob's unconscious it threw it into the consciousness, like, "Oh, I didn't mean that." Well, your unconscious did, Bob. Yeah, I messed up. And then, you know, and so then Bob starts to backpedal and all that stuff. But at least it's addressed in that moment. And so, exactly. And so now, you know, everyone, the other thirty nine people in that room, including Bob, knew that Doc Yak as my student. to call me Steve is not on board with that kind of behavior. But I wasn't disrespectful to senior executive Bob, who literally signed our checks. I just said, what do you mean by that statement and left it there? And then you see what happens. And so I think for us leaders, queer leaders and, and awesome allies who want to create that sense of belonging in that safe space, that's just one example of what we can do in order to create that sense of belonging for every other who's in the room.
1: Oh, gosh, that was such a wonderful and powerful example in real world, because that that is nothing so far-fetched. That's something that goes on daily. Meetings, I've seen it myself, and as a a woman of color sitting at the table with usually people in the majority, I'm the only in the room. Those comments just kind of slip out when they become comfortable, you know, with you. And and uh, but that's a fantastic way, definitely, to address it. And so that was a great example of someone who. Kind of spit their toe in the, in the wrong water, if you will, and had to get the toe back out. But I always like to say, you know, we really know great leaders when we see them, right? But we also know, you know, awful re- leaders or those who had or exhibited awful actions that weren't productive. And so I'm curious if you have one more additional story of leadership gone wrong. And it can be any kind of way, personal, professional, what have you, but just an example.
0: I will tell you a real story that happened to me that taught me a gorgeous lesson on inclusivity and more so the feeling that uninclusiveness can have on on the team member. So I was working on, and I won't say the company, but I was working on a special project and it was enterprise-wise, like a big deal. And I was one of seven people on this team to be on this Big software rollout. I was in charge of change management and and the training facet of it. So you know, but we were the core team doing this. And the project manager slash boss of it. She, we knew each other. we weren't BFFs, but we we had a professional relationship. But we weren't going to go and have drinks after work, all that stuff. I mean, that's fine. You don't have to. In, in everyone. But you know, I was also the only male on the team. And I and I you, know, I'm not saying that that's the reason why. There was something about me that she just wasn't into. She just just wasn't into me. And that's fine. But and the project went along, but at one point I remember coming into the office on a Monday and my colleague, and we happened to share like this big office together. And my colleague, she turns to me and she's like, Well, where were you Friday? I'm like, well, I worked and then I left. She's like, Well, you weren't at the team building event, and you know, I was told that you had a previous engagement. We really missed you. And I'm like, what team building event? And this boss had told everyone else on the team except me to, oh, we're going to get a rent a boat and, and have cocktails and go out and you, know, be, you could tool around and watch the sunset. And so that's what the whole team did except for me. And two things happened in that experience. One, I felt horrible because I'm like, what is it about me that she just didn't want me so much that she didn't invite me on the little boat for the team building event?
1: the team building and team, C-E-A-M.
0: <laughs> but then too, once my you know office mate found out the reason, then she felt horrible. And so I think when we want to be smart leaders, regardless of some of our own personal feelings toward a personality of an individual, it's really being mindful of how your interaction or lack thereof can impact the greater team. And I think that's the lesson I took from that. And actually, it's a good lesson, and I still keep that to this day, is you know, you're not always going to connect with everyone within your workplace, and that's okay. But be mindful of how you interact with them, how you don't interact with them, and how that that reaction and that relationship can really ripple out to those around you.
1: That's right. It creates a domino effect, especially once because I bet your team member did not keep it just between you and them. They mentioned it to others that were like, "Hey, did you know Steve wasn't even invited?" You know, so I'm sure. There was a ripple effect of feelings.
0: Yes. And that leader actually eventually got separated from the company. So it wasn't the only
1: time. I wonder why.
0: <laughs> the only time. And it really wasn't just me. There was a pattern of behavior we found out. And so there's that. So it felt it stung a little less once we realized that.
1: Yeah, but it still stings in the moment. And you know what? You and I are talking about it today, you, you know, years later, probably.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. But well, good lesson, good lesson to learn.
1: <laughs> well, speaking of good strike, let's turn it to um, the good side of leadership. You know, um, one of, and as you may be aware, what during the, right before the pandemic, I Commission a research study on high potential leaders. And out of that work came out some of the top behaviors that were critical to any leadership efforts. And I was just curious if any of those top seven that we wrote about resonated with you.
0: Well, absolutely, Karen. And what's funny is when I was reviewing the list, and then I reflect on um, the six competencies that I talk about in my book, Pride Leadership, as well as what I've observed for leaders who are rock and rolling or crashing and burning with these six, I love that we had so many alike.
1: <laughs> I know. I noticed that as well when I looked at your website.
0: <laughs> I was like, yes. And so the one that resonated for you, all of them uh, really resonated with me. But the one that I, I, I'd speak to now is the you know, courageous agility, which of course we encourage is ours as well. Because you know doing the right thing and having the courage to do the right thing, like the Mop Sam and your know Women Drive scenario. That's vital for leaders and, and having that courage to be honest and, and to have that integrity. I love that my definition of integrity and several other folks have it is, you know, integrity is doing the right thing when no one's watching. And, and so being able to do that and also being prepared for the consequences when that happens. And, and you know, I, I often say to the folks I coach and, and we talk with uh, at Top Dog Learning Group is, you know, leadership courage cannot be undervalued. And it takes that kind of courageousness to facilitate lasting change within your workplace, especially if you're trying to be more inclusive and create that sense of belonging for all the folks. So I would say courageous agility is the one I would pick.
1: Oh, I love that. That so resonated with me. And for those listeners who aren't able to see the video, would you mind... um... Relating your other five really quick?
0: Absolutely. So the way my latest book, Pride Leadership started was I was going to write just a, a quote unquote generic leadership book. And I you know I kind of went through and looked at the competencies that I've seen leaders over my almost 30 years doing this stuff. The ones that display these six behaviors really are the ones who are successful. So it's it's being authentic or authenticity, having courage, leveraging empathy, effective communication building relationships and shaping culture. And then as I was going down the path, I, um, Karen, you remember uh, the first Sex in the City show?
1: Yes, yes.
0: Remember Carrie Bradshaw, the, the main uh, person, would sit down at her computer, a little Mac, and she'd always start her column, I couldn't help but wonder. And and so I was kind of getting these six competencies together and I'm like watching uh, my queer brothers and sisters and siblings who are doing you know, leadership work, volunteering, and the little Carrie Bradshaw went on in my head. I couldn't help but wonder. You know, Is there something about the LGBTQ experience that lends itself to exercise these six competencies just a little differently? And so my book went from the generic leadership book to one through what I call the rainbow lens. And so it's looking at authenticity through the lens of a queer person, being courageous through the lens of a queer person and, and you know, empathy, communication, relationships, and culture through all those lenses. And for those who aren't seeing the graphic that's on the video, of course, these are laid out in a lovely little rainbow flag. Each of the six that wasn't by accident, friends. <laughs> so, but it was it does really make you think. Like for example, authenticity. If I'm out at work, if I'm a trans person being my authentic self in the workplace, that's power, and you can channel that power into being a more effective leader with great results.
1: Yes, absolutely. And what do you advise? Like for example, queer leaders in the workplace. Sometimes you're targeted to be the lead of uh, employee resource groups or the Lead conversationalist about a topic. What do you advise some of them in in the workplace to do so that they're not always tapped on, that they can enjoy the world of work without all having to carry the flag 24 seven if they don't want to? You know, if they want to, that's fantastic. But if they don't, how do what do you advise them to do?
0: That is a such a beautiful question because most marginalized people are put into the educator role at somewhat. And I mean, for some of us, you know, hey, that's what I do and I'm happy to play that part. For others, it's just exhausting. It's like, you know, I, I work with a lot of pharmaceutical companies and a lot of the, the queer leaders I work with, they're like, I, I just want to be a chemist. I mean, leave me alone. I just want to make drugs, you know, and stuff. And I'm like, I'm like, I get that, you know. So I think it's, um, you know, one of the things that, and, and matter of fact, I talk about that in the Shaping Culture chapter of Pride Leadership, but it's about the network you build around you. And, and if you have the battery, You know, with or the bandwidth or the battery level or whatever you'd like to say, take it on, you know, use your personal platform to educate and and share with others and, but also be mindful to tap out and have someone else step up. And so that's where that network comes into play. And so you often see this with ERGs where, where, you know, it's not a compensated role for the most part, you know, your, your day job and your gay job. And for those, you know, who do it for a while always be thinking about succession planning or someone else you could tap in and say, no, Steve, I got this event. You go have a seat, you go sit down. Oh, it's June, you're tired, go do your thing and we'll catch up with you in July or whatever. So I think it's being mindful of that. And it's also being self-aware. What toll educating others has on you personally? You, you Karen, you and I, before we started recording, both admitted to being lovely extroverts. So this might be our jam. But if you're more introverted, then that takes even more energy. When you're in that space. And so just having that mindfulness of your own resiliency, I think, is important as well.
1: Well, this has been fantastic. I could talk to you all day, but there's one more segment that we need to do before I can let you go. (laughs) And our final segment is called Full Disclosure. Um, I will say there are no gotcha questions on this either, but it's to bring a a little additional flair to your episode, if you don't mind. So, my first question for you is, What? I'll do it with the easy one. What is your favorite meal?
0: My favorite meal? Meal. Ooh, so I vacillate behind that, kind of depending on mood. So I'm I'm pretty flexible. I'm lucky enough that my husband is a phenomenal cook uh, because I am not. And we're almost 25 years together. And so thank goodness, because otherwise I'd be like, you know, take out, you know, salads from Publix here in Central Florida or whatever. So pretty much anything he makes is my favorite <laughs> meal. But I will say recently, I have to admit, as much as I try to not do the meat eating thing, uh, and we do Meatless Mondays most of the time, but a good, good grilled steak is like...
1: Oh, you are my hubby would be best friend. See, I'm not a steak person. I'm a seafood person. But yeah, he, you all would be best friends.
0: <laughs> yeah. I like a good, good, I mean, I love seafood too. A good steak is probably my favorite.
1: Yeah, good steak, a good steak. Gotcha. <laughs> well, I know we're both dog lovers, but can you tell me a little bit more about why you named your firm Top Dog Learning Group? <laughs> <laughs>
0: So thank you for asking that. And what's funny is when we named Top Dog what we did in 2002, I didn't have a dog. <laughs> so
1: Oh, stop! <laughs> I did
0: not. My friend Ruth, uh, Ruth Bond, who I started Top Dog with, still one of my best friends to this day, she is a massive dog lover. She's a dog whisperer. She's so smart. And when we were trying to figure out a name, you know, she's she's British. And of course, her name's Bond. So it's just so classy. And we're like Bond and Yacovelli and associates. So I'm like, yeah, it doesn't roll off the tongue, you know?
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's a mouthful.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah my last name is not easy to say, and so we started just brainstorming. And and I'm like, well, I like dogs, and she's like, well, clearly I do. And that's kind of where we went down the path of top dog. And then what's kind of fun is flash forward to 2008 when I decided to go full time with with the business, and I rebranded to kind of the, the logo that you're seeing here. And as it turns out, the first dog I got, which is in 2009, so this is about a year and a half after I went full time. Ella, my she's now unfortunately passed away, but she looked like that, and it was totally by happenstance. So every time I see my logo, I think of my beautiful little Ella bean. So
1: and you have to smile, right?
0: <laughs> I have to smile, yes. Yeah. So now I have another uh, canine son who's awesome as well, but he doesn't look like that.
1: Oh. So. <laughs> Well, we had to, Ollie passed away at 19 last year, I had a long, spoiled life. He was the love of life. And then we, now we have Poppy that's still with us. Um, Poppy is a on. Uh, <laughs> and he's hovering outside the door waiting for the podcast to be over.
0: <laughs> Russell is in the back room with, he's got a treat. He got his water ball and I shut the door. I've learned how to do that because otherwise he will make a cameo on any public platform.
1: Same with Poppy. (laughs) And then, my final, um, not question to you, but I'm going to allow you to turn the tables back on me since you have been so kind and gracious with letting me pepper you with questions. What is one question that you would like to ask me?
0: So, clearly, you have, and if you're not seeing the the video, you need to go to the YouTube and see it because Karen has just a beautiful office. It's so inviting. I want to ask how curated is that?
1: Honestly, the only thing that's curated are the flowers on the side. And there's the thing, I love flowers and so my husband gives me a big bouquet every week for just for hair. The rest of the office is not curated, but I had backgrounds I had done and I would sometimes take them off to change them and people would say, why don't you just use your office background? It looks so great. So honestly, I have the curated background like you, but then since people seem to like it, I'm using it.
0: <laughs> I love it. I, no, it's really cool. And, and I find it, It's because that's when I, and I now I'll switch if you're watching the video. This is actually what's behind my green screen. I took a picture of what's behind me um, just to have it, you know, in case I like my office hours and stuff. And, and I'm really, I, I find it really fascinating. That's one of the benefits of, of a pandemic and now doing a lot of virtual work is you have these little windows into people's true worlds. And, and I think you, you can you get a lot of data in a good way about uh, the person that's behind them. Now, assuming that it's not just a blurred background or someone's unmade bed, which that in itself tells you something. Uh, but I just always love to ask if there's a, a rhyme or reason behind the background, because I always think it's kind of cool.
1: Oh, that's very cool. And just really quick, I will share. I was on with someone and their adult daughter came in knew that they were recording, but came in half-dressed into the session. And I was like, oh, okay, should we continue? Or, you know, obviously we ended up cutting that piece out, but they were like, it's willing over here. We're just <laughs> a casual household.
0: I was doing a job interview early in the pandemic with, with someone. And so they were going to be you know, working with my business. And, and there's like you know an unmade bed behind them, and you know, I'm like, oh, okay. And all of a sudden, the unmade bed moved, and I'm like, what was that? <laughs> and one of my top doggers was was with me, and we're going, we're slacking back and forth, like, did you see that? I just. Saw. And so all of a sudden, the the pile moves, and it's a person. The woman I was interviewing, it was her girlfriend. So, mm-hmm. so you're seeing like, and just and turns to the camera, waves, and like goes on her merry way. I'm like, this is a job interview, my friends. <laughs> so
1: it's, it is amazing. I bet if we could collect stories from all over the world on these, like, unusual events over Zoom or video, uh, we could probably write an encyclopedia. Funny.
0: I'm about authenticity. That's totally fine, however.
1: <laughs> yes, however.
0: <laughs> In Pride Leadership, we talk about context and managing the context, but still being authentic. And I think that was a good example of that.
1: That's an excellent example. <laughs> Well, Dr. Steve, thank you so, so much for your time. I mean, I literally blinked and I looked up and I'm like, oh gosh, we're even past recording. So listeners, thank you so much for your patience. Any last words of advice, Dr. Steve? We'll have information on show notes about you, but anything that you want to let our audience know where to find you?
0: Yeah. I mean, topdoglearning.biz is probably the best spot. Or if you're curious about my latest book, Pride Leadership, you can just go to Steve on Amazon. It'll redirect you. And in a few months. That redirect will send you to the next book that's coming out later next year. It's called Your Queer Career. So stay tuned for that and hopefully can give some good advice from the gay leadership dude.
1: That's right. I love that. So we'll have all of that in the show notes, listeners. Well, thank you so much, um, listeners, for hanging in with another episode. Be sure to let your friends know and like and share the podcast as well as share with them because I could use another listener or two. We have a lot of fun as you listen today. So let's not keep it to ourselves. Let's share with the world. Have a fantastic rest of your day and we'll talk next episode. Take care. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed our conversation today with Dr. Steve Iacovelli, owner and principal of Top Dog Learning Group, LLC. Links to his bio, his entry into our leadership playbook, and additional resources can be found in the show notes, both on your favorite podcast platform of choice and at leadyourgamepodcast.com. And now for Karen's take on today's topic of being more consciously inclusive. So I wanted to take a moment to take a deeper dive on better understanding what is conscious inclusion. Conscious inclusion is when we are very strategic in driving the thoughts, beliefs, and behaviors that allow us to value and leverage individual differences in others in order to achieve superior results. Being a consciously inclusive leader requires us to not only work to uncover and understand our own unconscious biases, but also to actively cultivate a culture of belonging. So how do we precisely do that? Well, I have a few tips to share to get you started. So the first thing you can focus on is to listen more and talk carefully. You do this by don't interrupting others, avoiding gender-specific words when speaking to a group, avoiding assertive language that others may take as the wrong way or an inappropriate tone, and also be conscious of avoiding any weird facial reactions to what people say. A second tip is to challenge stereotypes and avoid assumptions. Try asking yourself, what does your inner voice say when you are in the presence of others? And analyze if any of those perceptions refer purely to identity aspects, such as race, gender, religion, or education or financial status. And then try to exclude them from your mind if you can. Once you're able to do so, then you can challenge yourself to uncover areas of commonalities with the people that you're working with in order to build a a better relationship with them in the future and then my third tip is to be proactive in educating yourself become curious about aspects of others of which you may not be well versed sometimes Google can be your friend look it up but be sure to verify the legitimacy of the sites that you're getting your information from but it's a great first step and also Don't fear about making a mistake. Most people are very understanding and appreciative of your curiosity uh, as long as you phrase your questions appropriately in a non-threatening way and share that you're just trying to seek to better understand. And I'll close by saying, if you keep the behaviors of self-awareness, courage, curiosity, vulnerability, and empathy always top of mind, you'll be well on your way to being a more consciously inclusive leader. Well, that's all for today's show. Thank you so much for listening and see you next week. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast, where we help you lead your seat at any employer, business, or industry in which you choose to play. You can check out the show notes, additional episodes, bonus resources, and also submit guest recommendations on our website at leadyourgamepodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn by searching for the name Karen Rhodes with Karen being spelled K-A-R-A-N. And if you like the show, the greatest gift you can give would be to subscribe and leave a rating on your podcast platform of choice. This podcast has been a production of Shockingly Different Leadership, a global consultancy which helps organizations execute their people, talent development, and organizational effectiveness initiatives on an on-demand project or contract basis. Huge thanks to our production and editing team for a job well done. Goodbye for now.